take your Bibles this morning and turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, our study in Ephesians is quickly coming to an end. We've read about the wonderful riches we have in Christ. We looked at those in the first three chapters. We've clearly seen what God requires of us, that we would follow God. Um, We'd walk worthy, even before that in chapter 4, that we'd walk worthy of the vocation wherewith we we have been called. That is the unity of the Spirit of God. And then following God, at the beginning of chapter 5, he said, follow God. And what does that look like? Well, he said, walk in love and walk in the light and walk in wisdom. And then uh, we know how it's possible for us to follow God by what we studied in chapter 5 when he said, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled, be controlled, yield yourselves, we're to yield ourselves to the leading and the direction, the power, the wisdom, the understanding of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible to follow God without the filling of the Holy Spirit. As long as you and I are just trying our hardest, we will fall short. Standards, which standards are a good thing, and everybody in this room has standards, It's just that everybody has the standard or the bar set in a little different place. But standards can never replace the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Okay? Standards are a good thing. They can never replace the filling of the Spirit of God. And so uh, we know how we can follow God by the filling of the Spirit. And as we are filled with the Spirit, we'll live our lives in such a way that pleases God. Isn't that, doesn't that encourage your heart? I mean, the idea of pleasing God. Our Heavenly Father, I hope it does to you. Um, maybe you were raised or brought up in a home where you found it very hard to please your parents. You didn't feel like you could. Some of you, uh, you didn't grow in a home and your parents weren't necessarily a part of your lives. Uh, others of you, maybe your parents, you would say, I don't understand what you mean, Seth. It was very easy to please my parents. Um, but It's possible for you and for me to please the Lord. I think sometimes within the Christian life, I think some believers get in their minds the idea that, you know, I just, I don't ever feel like I can please God. I'm trying, I'm working, I'm doing, I'm setting up these standards, I'm all, I'm doing all these things, I'm coming apart at the seams, but I don't feel like I can please the Lord. Well, uh, when we put too much stock, we put too much, uh, emphasis on what we're doing and not what he's doing through us, we always find ourselves coming up short. Um, But it's possible for you and for me to please the Lord. And of course, we studied in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6 what God expects of you and for me. He set some standards there for us, for husbands. He said, husbands, love your wives. Sacrificially, love your wife same way that Jesus Christ loves the church and gave himself for it. That's God's standard for you and for me as men, as husbands. And he said to wives, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's not easy to do, submitting yourselves one, one to another, even before that, right? Believers to believers, he talked about that. Um, then he talked to children. Children, listen to your parents. The word obey, you remember, has the idea of to listen closely with an attitude of submission. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother. Live your lives in such a way as young people that your parents are honored. 
And then he talked to employees, employers, employees, and how we're supposed to interact with our employers if we have an employer, and if we, how we're to interact with our employees if we have those who are working for us. And as the Apostle Paul now comes to the conclusion of this, this small letter, and it's not a long letter, is it? Not very long at all. It was an epistle, a formal letter. As he comes to the end of this letter, uh, we have been seeing how we've been getting a glimpse of the Apostle Paul's heart. And really, we see in Paul's heart a concern for these believers. He's talked to them about the riches of Christ. He, he's told them what God desires for them to do and the expectations that God has for them and how they can meet those expectations and please the Lord. But now he comes to the middle part in the end of chapter 6, and he gives this warning to God's people. He's concerned for them. There's something that they have to know about. And if they don't know about it, then they're probably going to be overwhelmed. And they're not going to finish well. Look at, look at chapter 6 and verse number 10. Because Paul draws our attention to this necessity for you and for me to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he instructs us to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil, this vicious attack against the local church. And it was true for the church at Ephesus, and it's true for you and for me. I told my Sunday school class this morning, I woke up early this morning, and I was concerned for individuals who are in this auditorium here this morning. And some who are sickly, and some who are perfectly healthy, and everything is going well for. And my heart was drawn to pray for you. And we're going to see why that is in this passage. Look at verse number 10. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we come to our text, verse 18. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Look at verse number 18 again before we pray. This will be our text for this morning. And before I read it, I want to say this. It's impossible to be protected by the armor of God without prayer. You and I can go through the motions of putting on the whole armor of God, but if we do it prayerlessly, we will be vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. And I dare say 
you will be overcome. And you will fall. And there will be consequences for sin. Look at verse 18 in that, with that thought. He says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray this morning, as we look at your word. Simple matter, a matter that all of us have done before, but a matter in which few of us do as often or as biblically as we ought. Prayer. Father, I pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see the truth by your word on this matter of prayer. Father, I pray for husbands and fathers and moms, wives, grandparents, children, married and single, rich and poor. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts and bring conviction and encouragement to us this morning on this matter of prayer. Lord, convict us of our prayerlessness. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as we've seen, and looking back to verse 10, 11, 12, and even 13, we're never out of, well, at least while we're on this earth, we're never out of the reach of Satan and his devices. And remember that, that word wiles there has, is, comes from the Greek uh, word where we get our English word methods. So Satan has methods. He has methods that he implements to try to trip up God's people. He has a plan that ought to strike some measure of fear into every single one of our hearts this morning. Not that we should fear him, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. But there ought, it ought to be some tone of seriousness or some measure of seri- seriousness in our thoughts this morning when we think about this idea. We're talking about the armor of God, and it is in the positive. Put on the armor of God, the whole armor of God, so you'll be able to stand. And so it's in the positive. But the negative is Satan and his evil forces have a plan to try to destroy, try to to trip up as many people as they possibly can in the time that they have. And so as long as we're on this earth, we're never out of the reach of Satan's devices, and so we must never be without the armor of God. We must always be clothed with the whole armor of God. And the armor of God is a picture, as I mentioned last week, the armor of God is a beautiful picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ is the truth. He talked about the belt of truth. Christ is our righteousness. We talked about the the breastplate of righteousness. Christ is our peace. We talked about having our feet shod so we'd be able to stand and have good traction in this life, not be slipping and sliding, stumbling and falling. God wants us to have good traction, and it's possible to have good footing in the Christian life if, if, we, are, if we don't feel like we have peace with God. If we're not at peace with God. And so Jesus Christ is our peace. He is our faithfulness. Or excuse me, he is, our, he is faithful to us so that, we can be, so that we can have faith. He is our salvation. He is the word of God. And so 
in a very real way, the armor of God is a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we are putting on the armor of God, in actuality, we are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, we're commanded to do that in Romans chapter 13, the beginning part of verse 14, he says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we put on the armor of Christ by faith, we are trusting Christ to protect us, and we have the victory. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And can I say this, uh, and remind you of this, in verse 12, he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The enemy is not a person. The enemy is not a company. The enemy is not your boss. Uh, the enemy is not a co-worker. We wrestle with flesh and blood. The enemy is not your spouse. It's not your children. The enemy is not your parents. That's not the enemy. It's not a teacher or a student. The enemy is spiritual. The enemy is the evil one. The enemy is, as listed out for us in verse number 12, in the spiritual realm. And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't fight this spiritual battle with carnal weapons. But mighty through God, he says, to the pulling down of strongholds. You see, we cannot put on the whole armor of God without prayer. We cannot put on the whole armor of God without prayer. And I want us to consider two truths from verse 18 about prayer this morning. Truth number one, we, we need to war against the enemy through prayer. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about, I think I might have mentioned it this way, are you, are you, do you look at life as a game or a battle? And none of us like, to, none of us like the idea of being at war. In my life, um, America's been in a couple of wars. And it's never, it, it always gives you that an unsettled feeling. Being at war with someone. Uh, dangers, attacks. Um, and, and sometimes in going through life, we like to go through life like everything is just a game. Like we're just playing and there's nothing really to lose and it's all to gain and everything's just going to be fine. But that's not what Paul's saying here in this passage. And so I, I notice within the context of what he's saying here about the whole armor of God and the enemy, he's saying, I want you to war against the enemy and I want you to war against the enemy through prayer. How many of you, when you think of prayer, think about warring against the enemy? That's not normally what we think of when we think about praying. When we think about praying, we normally think about, you know, before breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and maybe at prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. But we need to be thinking about prayer differently. We need to be, when, we th- when we pray, we need to be thinking that we are in a battle, and there are spiritual forces fighting one another, the host of heaven, as well as the hosts of the evil one, Satan, and there's a battle going on, and Satan has methods he's employing, trying to hurt, trying to destroy, and God has given us yet another piece of equipment, we could say, to fight the battle and to be victorious in the battle, and that piece of equipment is prayer. Look at verse number 18, the beginning part. He says this, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Praying always. Now, prayer is a weapon to war against the enemy. Prayer is the instrument by which we are to carry out our warfare. In other words, it's impossible, it's absolutely impossible to put on the whole armor of God without praying. 
without being a praying believer? Are you a, are you a prayer warrior? Do you pray often? Maybe I should ask it in the negative. How often can you go in your life? How often do you go in your life without praying? And I'm not trying to guilt you this morning, but do you only pray for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Do you only find yourself praying in the morning or in the evening? Do we only find ourselves praying when there's a crisis? Should we pray when there's a crisis? Yes or no? Yes, of course we should. But should we not also pray as Christ instructed his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, give us this day our daily bread? Should we not pray for the smallest of details in our lives? And the answer is yes. And here he says in verse number 18, the beginning part, praying always. Prayer is a weapon. It's impossible to put on the whole armor of God without prayer. And so I would dare say this, when a person, uh, when a believer is not a praying believer, they're not in the will of God, and they are extremely vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. Good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. It's impossible to overcome the principalities in verse 12. The powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, unless we are praying. And so God gives the church of Ephesus some instruction so that they can know how to pray. The word prayer in verse number 18, you see it there in verse 18, says praying always with all prayer. The word prayer... uh, Prosuke in the New Testament is only used in the New Testament to refer to praying to God or asking something of God. It's possible for me to beseech a person or even to pray to a person. And the word pray means to ask. So it's possible for me to ask a person for help. But this word with all prayer is found in the New Testament only in reference to praying to God. And so it communicates God's power. It communicates that God alone is able. It communicates that God alone is sufficient. So while we do wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, and to a very real degree in our flesh we're outgunned and we're outmatched, with the armor of God and the power of prayer, we have what we need to overcome. But only if we're praying. God wants us to know some details about prayer. How should we pray? How often should we pray? And I want to answer those questions this morning. In the beginning of verse 18, he says, praying always. And so, to pray always, we have to pray. I don't mean to be overly simple. But if we're going to be praying always, we have to pray. Do you pray? Do you ask? The word pray means to ask. Do you ask God for wisdom? Do you ask God for for understanding? Do you ask God for discernment? Do you ask God for spiritual protection? Do you ask him uh, for victory in your day? Do you ask him for wisdom in relationships? Not just in general, but in relationships. God, give me wisdom that I might be the husband that you'd have me to be to the wife you've given me. Or vice versa. Uh, Do you pray at all? 
When do you pray? So what should be the duration of our praying? How long should we pray for? Look, look back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. We see an illustration here in Paul's life. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16. In verse 15 he says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Paul says, at least in his life, and this is not the only place for this, we could have gone to many places like this, we find that Paul was continually praying for the churches, for individuals, not just Trinity Baptist Church or the church at Ephesus. He's praying for people because a church is made up of born-again believers. And so Paul was burdened for them, and he says in verse 16 that he ceased not to give thanks for them, but he made mention of them in his prayers. You can turn back to our text in verse 18. Now, this, doesn't, this idea of praying always doesn't mean that we're continually verbally praying out loud. Nor does it mean that as we're going through life 24 hours a day, seven days a week, that we're thinking through prayers in our head while we're talking to other people and trying to do our job at work. Can you imagine what that would be like? If, if you try to do that this week, you might be unemployed by the end of the week. Okay? But wouldn't that be great if you were having a conversation with me and you were trying to tell me something important and I was trying to pray uh, verbal prayer in my mind uh, while I was talking to you? Wouldn't you like that? No. Um, however, it's possible for you to be talking to me or me to be talking to you and you to be in communion with the Lord at the same time. Lord, give me wisdom as I talk to Jeff or Clem. Lord, bless this conversation. Lord, bring us together in unity as we're talking about this. Keep us from falling into sin. Help us not to be bitter at one another. You see? Um, so when Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, back in Matthew chapter 6, he taught them not to pray as the Pharisees and hypocrites. Look back there, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. So praying without ceasing, or praying always, requires that we pray at all. But we're getting, I, I, wanna, I want us to understand what it means. How are we to be praying always? Look here at Matthew chapter 6 before we come to a conclusion on this. It, this, is, this idea of praying always does not mean that wherever we are, we just pray out loud. Matthew chapter 6 in verse number 5. I'll read there and I'll read down through verse 7. He says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. How many of you understand that hypocrites are not a good thing? Okay, how many of you want to be a hypocrite? All right, none of us, good. Uh, so, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues, that's a religious place, and in the corners of the streets, that would just be maybe out and about, uh, work or play, that they may be seen of men. They pray out loud so that other people hear them and see them. And Christ says, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. All they have is what people think of them. That is it. They have no reward with God. They're hypocrites. Verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, 
Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. And I read this to you, and I want you to see it intentionally, because we might read in verse 18 of of Ephesians 6 and say, it says there, praying always. So some might say, well, you know what, I'm going to keep repeating the same thing over and over and over again. And here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, he says, uh, don't pray like the heathen, like the unsaved do, with vain repetition, for they think that they'll be heard of God just because they're saying a lot of words. That's not, that's not how we should pray. Look back to, to Ephesians chapter 6. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, we're also instructed to pray without ceasing. Pray and don't stop. So what is God telling us here? If he's saying don't pray with vain repetition, don't just repeat the same words over and over and over and over again and consider that God-honoring prayer. But at the same time, I'm not supposed to pray with repetition, but I am supposed to pray without ceasing. I'm to be praying always. So where's the balance in all of this? So what is God telling us? And the answer is that we're to always be in communion with the Lord. We're always to be in communion with the Lord. Sometimes if I'm driving somewhere, there have been times where I'll get Cindy on the phone and we'll be talking. And, uh, and I can remember times when I was away and the children were a little bit younger and she was taking care of this and taking care of that and everything from washing the dishes. And I'm hoping she doesn't, I, you know, I know how she holds the phone when she washes the dishes, you know. I'm thinking one slip and kabloop, it's going in. She's never done it. Yep, and it's not going to happen, right? All right. Now that I've said all that, there might be another illustration coming your way. Anyway, so she's washing dishes, you know, she's a multitasker. And other times she's changing a, a child's diaper and, and she's doing this and doing that. And, uh, and I'm driving and, and uh, well, you know what? Uh, we both were doing different things, but we were still in communication. I didn't have to say, hello, Ferguson's. I didn't have to say, hello, this is Seth. I'm calling to speak with Cindy, please. No, we were in communication. At any moment, she could say, oh, no. And I was right there to hear her. Or I could say, wow, look at the traffic. It's terrible. I am in a traffic. She's already there. She's already on the line. And that's the idea of this idea of praying without ceasing or praying always. In other words, you're always in communion with the Lord. Jesus himself taught that men ought always to pray, has the idea of to always be in prayer or in a, state of, uh, in a state of prayer and not to faint. And by the way, God's people are prone to fainting. We're prone to giving up. We're prone to quitting when we're not in a state of communion and prayer, and that is God-dependence. We're not ta- when we're not talking to him, when we're not seeking his help and his strength and his wisdom, we are prone to giving up. And not a one of us in this room is above that. And the idea, so the idea is that we, we never need to dial because we're, we've never hung up. And he's never hung up. When, when, when we pray, we don't need to say, Lord, we come into your presence. Why? Because we're already in his presence. We've never left his presence. And that's what Paul's getting at to these believers. He's saying, you are in a battle. 
You are facing a real foe. And he's got methods, and he's absolutely trying to destroy you. And he's trying to destroy your family, your children, your marriage. He is absolutely, he has sights on you, church at Ephesus. And so you need to put on the whole armor of God, and you need to be praying always. If you're going to be defended, if you're going to be an overcomer, you're going to have to continually be in the state of communion with the Lord According to the context, again, this command, praying always, is in absolute connection to the battle and to the armor of God. It is not separate. And as I've studied this, even this week, uh, you have come to my mind. And I've been concerned for the congregation, and I've wondered, are we aware of this? I enjoy listening to sports talk radio or sometimes uh, news talk radio, right? And it's kind of a space filler, you know, kind of just, you know, for... And really what it does is it determines what I think about. It directs my thoughts. There are other things that we could listen to that are not necessarily an evil thing or a bad thing that would direct our thoughts. But what I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about to a degree is, are we allowing the Spirit of God to direct our thoughts? Have we been in the Word of God? Have we been under the Word of God? Are we yielded to the will of God, which is the Word of God? And are we allowing the Spirit of God to direct our thoughts in praying because we're in a battle? If, if, if Josh Hardy and I were on the front lines on a battlefield somewhere fighting for our country, and we had a post, and we were to guard and protect and be on guard and watching for the rest of the men and women who were part of our, uh, our group, okay, and we had a responsibility to be on guard and to be watching, would it be profitable for he and me to be listening to sports talk radio or to listen to whatever... To, to allow our thoughts, or allow ourselves to be distracted from the reality of the battle that we were in and a part of. And the truth is, if we were distracted and people could get through, they could infiltrate, they could hurt, they could maim, they could kill, and that's the context of this idea of praying always. It's stated to us in the context of you are in a battle. You're in a battle. Now, I'm not saying don't ever listen to sports talk radio again. But we need to leave here, and I think we need to leave here a little bit differently than when we came in. Instead of leaving, and and some perhaps you're well aware of this, but some of us, I think, have been going through the motions of the Christian life. We're cruising along. Life is pretty good. And every once in a while, we get broadsided by something and broadsided by something else. And uh, we need to understand we're we're in a spiritual battle. So be praying always. Because we're in a battle, because we can be subjected to temptations, because we can be subjected to attacks of the devil at any time. In James chapter 4 and verse 2, James wrote to those Hebrew believers and he said, Ye lust, living your lives in covetousness, ye lust and have not, ye kill, your fighting and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. And James said to those believers who were proud, he said, you don't pray, and so you don't have. 
You're going without the blessing of God in your life because you don't pray. And you know what, men? Some of us as men are the worst offenders in this. Some of us have wives who pray, and we don't. You know why? Because we're self-sufficient. Because we, we already know. Because we have the wisdom. Because we already have the discernment. Because we have the knowledge, and we have the experience. And you know what? We can just work a little harder. This is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. And there's not a single man under the sound of my voice in this room or on the face of the earth today who has the wisdom and understanding or experience or the physical attributes necessary to win this spiritual battle or to defend his family or to defend his marriage or to defend his church who does not pray. And not just occasionally, but Paul says praying always. In other words, don't hang up the line. You have a job to do, yes. You're at work. You have a job to do. You do that job to the best of your ability as unto God and not unto men. Put your all into it, but never, ever hang up the line. I also notice in verse number 18, not only can we war against the enemy through prayer, but secondly, prayer requires extreme poverty and intensity. Prayer. Now, I've not thought of it this way before studying this passage out. I'm learning some things through this study. Prayer, God-honoring prayer requires a sense of extreme poverty. In other words, I don't have what I need for the battle. And it also has the sense of of praying with intensity. Look what he says in verse number 18. He says in verse 18, the beginning part, praying always. Then he says, with all prayer, all prayer and supplication. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. Now, I don't often talk about Greek grammar, but I'm going to, so bear with me for just a few moments. How many of you like grammar at all? Okay, great. Three and a half people. Great. All right. So bear with me, because this is important, okay? Notice the words all and prayer. Do you know that every word in the Bible is very important? Every word is important. You start taking away words, you're going to get a different meaning. Okay, words are important. And in the Greek grammar, when God chose to put the participle all together with the noun prayer, he was intensifying the idea of prayer. Now, we see that even in our English translation. All prayer. We, can, we get the idea. Now, it doesn't jump off the page at us. All prayer. Uh, And and really what he's saying is you need to pray with intensity. When a believer prays with all prayer, he's crying out to God for help. That believer is believing that God is the only one who can make any difference in the situation. And that's what Paul's communicating here. He's saying you need to be praying always. Never hang up the line. Always in communication. And you need to do it with intensity. And you need to do it with fervency, believing that if the communication is broken, if God is not answering your prayer, then you will be vulnerable to the attacks of the evil one. And that's the idea of this. All prayer 
and supplication. Praying with all prayer is not normally how we pray. It's not normally how we pray. Now, I imagine most of us in this room could probably say, I can remember times in my life where I was in such a place or such a state, maybe spiritually, or maybe there was a physical issue in my family, uh, or maybe it was a spiritual issue in our family, and that we were in such a condition that I was praying fervently like it all depended upon God. Sadly, most of us have to go back and remember times like that because we don't normally pray like that. Part of that's because we're distracted by the world in which we live, where we live in life. What a time. What a time. Normally, I think we as believers pray very casually. Not always. And maybe not for all of us in this room. I I believe and I pray there are some in this room who pray like verse 18. But many of us, I think, pray very casually. Some of us, we pray and we're very distracted. The other day, I was praying. And somehow, I got distracted. And I was trying to figure out if I could go back, if not, not if I could go back in time, but if I could jump and touch the rim again. If, if I had held the ball differently in my hands, if I could have dunked it better. Now, isn't that silly? That's called being distracted. It was something from 20 years ago. I went back in time 20 years. That's called being distracted. Now, I'm not going to tell you about everything that I've ever been distracted with. And it might be true that I'm a little bit ADD. Okay? Yeah. All right. My point is, though, sometimes when we pray, we're distracted. We're casual. We think about things that we're never going to do, like dunking a basketball. That, that ship sailed. It wasn't here long. Sometimes we pray we're casual in our praying. Sometimes we're distracted. Sometimes we pray ignorantly. We don't know what to ask for. We do that a lot. A believer asks for prayer. Hey, would you pray for my aunt? My aunt's aunt has a hangnail on her third pinky toe. You know. We hear a lot of things. Normally, sometimes believers play, pray carelessly. Carelessly. We don't think about why we're praying. Why do we, why do we pray casually sometimes? Why do we pray carelessly sometimes? I think there are a few reasons for that. One is, I don't think, perhaps we don't love the person that we're praying for. Now, don't be too hard on anybody when I say that, because it's hard to love somebody you don't know. Isn't it true? If I were to ask you to pray for someone, hey, would you pray for, and I gave you a name, would you pray for them, uh, uh, they're not well. You would say, okay, but it's not really a burden, and it's not a burden for a couple of reasons. One, you don't love them, and two, you don't know the severity of the situation. Years ago, I can remember a friend of mine had a massive stroke. Four children, 
massive stroke, good man. He went from being totally normal, faithfully serving the Lord as best we knew, to being put in the hospital for months, barely able to communicate only for a short period of time. And I could have told you his name, but a name you don't know, a name you might not love. I loved him. But if I told you that he's just not well, or he had a massive stroke and he has four children and a wife, see, it changes the severity. And I'm just thinking practically here, but sometimes we don't pray seriously. We don't pray with fervency. We don't pray in all prayer. We don't cry out to the Lord for his help because we don't know the people involved. We don't love the people involved, or we don't grasp the severity of the situation. I can remember this last year when dad had his bypass surgery, and uh, Mr. Walker, when he came out at one point uh, before the bypass surgery, um, I think it was the scope, they did a scope, and uh, Mr. Walker came out and he sat down with mom and I, and he shared with us the severity of dad's heart condition, because we wouldn't have known. You know, sometimes you have a hard time communicating. And he shared with us that, and it was serious. And then five bypasses later, and I remember after the, the, the quadruple bypass surgery, the surgeon came out and sat with my mom and I, and my sister, I think, was there as well. And, and all of a sudden, it dawned to me, and I asked him the question. I said, now, did you have to stop my dad's heart to do the surgery? And I hadn't thought of that before. And he kind of looked at me, and he hesitated, and I said, did you have to stop my dad's heart to do the surgery? And he said, yes. Whoa. See, severity. And I, I don't think he told us that on purpose. So we wouldn't be having issues with our hearts during the surgery. You see, the severity of a situation determines how we pray sometimes. Sometimes I think we don't pray, we, we, we pray casually or carelessly or maybe even sometimes distracted because we don't really believe that God can make a difference. Now look back at our text in verse 18. He says this in verse, eight, or verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. The word supplication, within that word supplication, you have the supplicant. That's those of us who are doing the praying. But you also have the word supply in the word. Do you see it? And so it, it, it has the idea that the supplicant believes that only God can supply the need. The Apostle Luke uses a similar construction in Acts chapter 12 and verse 5 when the church at Jerusalem prayed for Peter. You remember Peter was kept in prison and, uh, and the, the king had killed James, the brother of John, with the sword and he's intending to kill Peter as well. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 12 that the church at Jerusalem prayed without ceasing unto God for Peter. And I think they did it for several reasons. One, they loved Peter. Two, they understood the severity of the situation. And three, they believed that God alone could do something about it. And they prayed. And they prayed without ceasing. You know, I wonder if the men took time off work as they prayed together. I know they were gathered together in Rhoda's house. But I think they prayed in other places other than just Rhoda's house around the city. And I don't know that every man took the week off work. 
or the day off work or two days. I think they were just praying always. Now, maybe that some of them took time off. I don't know. But they were praying always. And they were all in prayer. They were supplicating. They were beseeching the Lord. The Bible says, Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. In James chapter 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. And then he says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And that brings us to the third thought. Look back at verse number 18. I noticed that our prayer needs, our, our prayer requires divine empowerment. Our prayer requires divine empowerment. Look at verse 18. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In the Spirit. When you pray, do you pray in the Spirit? Simply, praying in the Spirit has the idea that you and I are surrendered and submitted to what the Spirit wants to ask for of God the Father. This, doesn't, this isn't us working our, ourselves up into a, an emotional state. This is not necessarily us laying face down on the ground or kneeling on our knees or standing with our hands raised. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, all right, when you pray, because the battle, there's so much at stake. And it all depends upon God answering prayer. Are you praying Always? Are you praying with all prayer and supplication? And are you praying in the Spirit? Are you asking for the right things? Is another way we could say this. Galatians 5 and verse 25 says, If we live in the Spirit, we know we're born again of the Spirit. If, we, if we're a born-again believer, he says, Let us also walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is one step at a time, one step in front of another, in submission to what the Spirit of God wants to do in our lives. In other words, we are to intentionally live our lives in submission to the Holy Spirit of God. And in the context of what we're looking at here in verse 18, in Ephesians chapter 6, we could say it this way, God wants us to intentionally pray in submission to what the Holy Spirit of God within us wants to do. When you look at your prayer life, what do you find? Sometimes, many times in my life, I found myself asking for what I want to happen. But that's not what God says to do. That's not how he says to pray. Sometimes I find myself asking for healing for someone physically because that's what I want. Because from my perspective, which is very finite, That is what would be best for a family. That is what would be best for a marriage. That would be best for the person. Sometimes I ask for things because that's what I want. But when Paul says to the church at Ephesus, I want you to pray, and I want you to pray in the Spirit, he's not not saying, I want you to ask for what you want. He's saying, I want you to ask for what God wants. Pray intentionally in submission to the Holy Spirit. In other words, pray in his wisdom. Pray as he guides you. Pray as he directs you. Pray in submission to his authority. 
Pray in according to his power. Pray according to his understanding. Pray in the Spirit. When I was a teenager, we would go to Cedar Point, and I always enjoyed going on the roller coasters. The faster, the better. The higher, the better. The steeper the drop, the better. I enjoyed those sort of things. I don't know how I do right now if you put me on one of those. But I can remember some of my friends would go, and they would, we'd all kind of hang out together, but they wouldn't ride those rides. And, uh, and they would stand in, we'd all stand in line together because we were all together. And then when we got up to the roller coaster, they'd step off and I'd get on. I remember after a couple of rides like that, I remember one particular fella, and I was like, come on, come on, get in. And I talked him into getting on during the hour wait. When we finally got there, I slide across the seat and I say, come on, get in, get in. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, come on, you said you would, get in. Why? Because I wanted him to be subjected to everything (laughs) that roller coaster had to offer. Why? Because that roller coaster could do things with his body that he could never imagine doing with his body. (laughs) He could feel things that he never would have felt any other way. You know, the, the elephant ears don't give you the same feeling as the magnum. And I'm, I'm saying, get in. Get in. He says, I'm not getting in. You know, it's only if he would have gotten in would if he experienced what the magnum could, could do. And in a similar way, and that may be a poor illustration of this, but only when you and I pray in the Spirit are our prayers effective. Are our prayers pleasing to God? Are our prayers answerable? Sometimes we pray, and our prayers do not reach the ears of God. He does not hear them. Psalm 66, 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. God chooses not to hear when a person is harboring sin in their lives. And you know what? I believe with all my heart it's possible for a person to live a life that is righteous and yet have sin in their prayer closet. Have rebellion in their prayer closet. In other words, we we can get on our knees or we can lay on our stomachs or we can raise our hands to the air and we can talk to God and say, God, would you please do this? But we are not in submission to the Spirit. We're not praying in the Spirit. And actually, we're not in submission to Him. We're in rebellion to Him. And it is sin. And there's a lot at stake. Our children are at stake. The church is at stake. The glory of God as as to the role that we can play in honoring and glorifying God is at stake. And it's imperative that some men in this congregation and some women in this congregation say, you know what, I'm not just going to go through the motions of prayer. I want to pray in a way that pleases God. Well, this is it. Praying always, with all prayer and supplication, in the Spirit. In the Spirit. 1 John 5, verse 14, talks about this idea of praying in obedience to him. It says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. The the, the inferment there is that 
He does not hear what is not asked according to his will. And if we know that he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And I could say it this way, let us pray in the Spirit, and we will not pray according to the lust of the flesh. Too many of our prayers are filled with fleshly requests, prayers not directed by the Spirit of God, prayers offered in a rebellion, uh, out of a rebellious heart to the Lord. And James in chapter 4 and verse 3 says, ye ask, some of you believers, he says to those Hebrew believers, you're asking, but you receive not. Why? Because ye ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong things. Or you're asking for the right things for, with the wrong motives. And he goes on to say, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Every single one of us needs to consider our, how we're praying, why we're praying. Maybe you're praying for your son or your daughter to be revived. Maybe you're praying for the local church. Maybe you're praying for someone to be healed physically. I don't know exactly what you're, what, what's on your prayer list. Maybe you, you are praying. Maybe you believe you've, you've come to the point where there's an intensity, there's a poverty. You feel the poverty. You don't have what you need to meet the need. And you know that God alone can meet the need. So you've, made, you've come to that point. But it's so important for us to pray in the Spirit. Surrender to Him. God, have your way in my life. Lead and guide as you desire. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 26... The Bible says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Jude, verse 20, says that we're to be praying in the Holy Ghost. And so my question as we close this morning is, are you praying according to your flesh? Are you praying according to what you want, or are you praying in the Spirit? Are you surrendered? Are you submitted to the Spirit of God? Do you believe that God's way is best? Have you acknowledged your inability to know what is best or to do anything about it? And are you calling out to the one who understands and always does what is right? Always. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, I'll end with a quote. Samuel Chadwick once said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep the saint from prayer. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom. But he trembles when we pray. And the kind of prayer the devil trembles at is the kind of prayer we've looked at in the beginning of verse 18.